0: I give you the names of the four supreme emotions this morning, but I haven't really told you much about them yet. And they are an essential part of the practice because they mean the purification of our inner reactions. And the first one, the one we're going to deal with right now, Metta, M-E-T-T-T in Pali, translated as loving-kindness. I'm not that convinced that that's the best translation. It's correct, there's nothing wrong with it, but it doesn't have the impact that the word love has. So I'm going to use the word love as a translation for that and try and show you what the word love and the emotion of love (coughs) actually is all about. it's not what we have been seeing in the movies and on television for these past decades where they lived happily ever after or not and where it concerns one person that has come about as a sort of an accident or because it just uh, fell out of the sky or whatever kind of fanciful ideas the movie maker happened to have that's what in our society has been (coughs) designated as love and people have sort of believed it they haven't really tried to look behind it Some people might not have been very fortunate at it. I would say most people haven't, because that isn't what love is all about. But I think what's been lacking has been a determined effort to see that that is actually not love at all. The Buddha calls it the near enemy of love. The far enemy of love is hate. Well, anybody can tell you that, and that's not very difficult to uh, understand. But the near enemy of love is attachment. And that's what all this um, business in our fairy tales is all about. The fairy tales which most people at one stage in their lives would like to make reality. After we find out that that fairy tale does not lend itself to reality, then we have several options. We can become angry, some people do. We can try again, most people do, (laughs) a third or a fourth time. And we can become totally disillusioned, want nothing to do with this kind of of emotion, it's only disappointing try to close ourselves up so that it doesn't come near us and underneath all that there's still that sort of valiant hope somebody's gonna come around and prove it's possible well needless to say it's all nonsense and needless to say it doesn't work I mean everybody knows that by now and yet underlying that knowing that it isn't working, there's still that little bit of hoping, maybe I can do better next time. (laughs) I've learned all those lessons already. It's a totally wrong approach to the whole thing, and that's why it doesn't work. It's a mistake in thinking, and it's a mistaken viewpoint from our emotional makeup so we'll have a look at it and see what the Buddha actually meant when he talked about love and he talked about it in men on many occasions and underlying all his teaching is always that emotion because he was enlightened at the age of 35 which means There was nothing left for him to do. And he taught every single day of his life until he was on his deathbed at the age of 80. Why? For the simple reason that he had so much love and compassion for the suffering that everybody has to experience that he wanted to share his understanding, which can alleviate and eliminate all that suffering. So underlying the teaching is always that as the foundation. So whether he talked about it or not. So we'll have a look at what he actually explained it to be. Instead of loving kindness, we can call it unconditional love, which is probably a more succinct statement of what that is all about. When we have a look at the kind of love that we already have discussed, which is always connected with attachment, we can see quite easily that if that is really love, we are diminished by it, because what we're doing is we are looking at one, two, three people, and that's the whole extent of love. There are five billion of us. So why diminish ourselves to one, two, or three? And not only that, that's not the whole problem. The whole problem lies in the fact that because it is attachment, because we got to keep those one, two, or three, in order to experience any kind of love, we are afraid to lose them to lose them through death, through change of mind, to leaving the house, to whatever change happens. And that fear discolors our love. It discolors it to the point where it can no longer be pure. Because it is hanging on. Now fear is always connected to hate doesn't mean that we hate those people, those one, two, or three, or four, or five, or how many they happen to be in the house. It means that we hate the idea that we could be losing them. So there's never that kind of open giving of that heart quality without any demand behind it that a certain person is also there to receive it. Now it's always dependent therefore. And as long as we are dependent, we're not free. We're dependent upon that what's happening around us. This kind of love is doomed from the beginning and we all know that. We can change that kind of attachment to something else. Most people do not have that ability. Some people do. They manage and that's a rare case. But actually, love is something entirely different. Just like intelligence is a quality of the mind, so love is a quality of the heart. And we don't just have intelligence when we have to solve a difficult mathematical equation. We don't just have intelligence when we have to make Uh, logical connections the mind remains intelligent whether we do that or not the same with love the quality of the heart and that's the only important thing that our spiritual heart has to do that quality remains with us whether there's anybody there in front of us that we can actually extend that love to or not Now that quality of the heart needs to be cultivated. Now the intelligence of the mind is cultivated in our society from the time we can understand what our parents are saying. Certainly in all our learning institutions, from kindergarten on upward, through university, postgraduate studies, it's always the quality of the mind. It's highly priced usually gets paid quite well, and it also has a certain uh, possibility for fame and acclaim. There are very few, if any, institutions in the world that teach the quality of the heart, love. We've got to learn it by ourselves. There are very few people that could even demonstrate Never mind the institution to teach it. Neither do we have kindergarten for it, nor do we have high school graduate or postgraduate studies in love. Not available at any price. And yet, it has made people very famous. But it doesn't pay in the coin of the realm. So that's probably the rub. But once we have seen that materiality and all the worldly things that we concern ourselves with actually cannot be fulfilling, then it stands to reason that we have to look elsewhere. And this is one of the directions we must look at. We all have the loving quality within us. There's no doubt about it. Nobody is exempt. But we've done all sorts of things to it. I've mentioned a few already. We were disappointed that the one we picked out didn't love us back, so we decided we're not going to love anybody. Or somebody that we thought was trustworthy betrayed that trust so we decide we're not going to love that decision is made in the mind it's not made in the heart decisions are made in the mind but when that decision is made in the mind we are able to close up our heart and when we do that we're half alive that's half of us that's dead Why do that to ourselves? We're depending again on the goodwill and the lovingness of other people. There's only one thing to depend on, upon our own goodness and our own lovingness. We've got enough work to do to get that going, never mind what others do. We're constantly, through our reactions, buying into the actions and thoughts and deeds of other people. What for? There's no need for that. We've got enough to do with ourselves. And by buying into other people's thoughts and speech and action, we also do not leave enough room to actually introspect into ourselves. We're far too busy to look at what others are doing to us totally irrelevant. They can only do it to us if we allow them to do it to us. If we don't allow it, what can they possibly do? Somebody gets angry at us and we feel upset by that. Well, we've allowed that person to enter into our own being. If we see that the anger belongs to the other person, All we need is compassion for that person's anger. It's all that's necessary. So if we really want to know what love is all about, we need to recognize the fact that love is not dependent upon another person being lovable. If we want to find somebody who is totally and utterly lovable, we have to find an Arahant, an enlightened person, And since we ourselves are not enlightened, we wouldn't recognize such a person. We can only recognize what we know about ourselves. That's all. When somebody comes into the room who's quite angry, doesn't say anything, it's just angry, we recognize that immediately because we've been angry ourselves. But if somebody comes into the room, doesn't say anything, or might even say something, and is fully enlightened, we wouldn't have a clue. How would we know? They don't wear badges, they don't have any halos, nothing. So a fully and totally lovable person is not really within our realm. Are we ourselves totally and completely lovable? So to look for that, that's a lost cause. And also, it makes life very difficult because we're looking for something outside of ourselves before we are willing to extend some love. To look for people who would like to be loved by us is also silly because love is the kind of emotion which connects people with each other and there's no one exempt Everybody would like to have a loving relationship with another person. But what we're mostly looking for is for somebody that loves us. And that's the most absurd thing in the world to do. Because that love belongs to the other person. And the only reason we like it so much is because it proves something. It proves that we are actually lovable, all indications to the contrary. And since that is the best ego support we can find, that's what we're looking for. It's totally um, useless on the spiritual path because if we're looking for that, we may be disappointed we may not find anybody. That's the first thing that may happen. We may actually find somebody, but what will that do us? The love is in the other person's heart. We may deign to return it, of course, But then again, we're dependent upon the fact that the other person keeps on loving. And then if the other person decides that they don't want to keep on loving, then all of a sudden that's a tragedy. We are no longer lovable. That's that whole business of the one-to-one relationship in a nutshell. I mean, we all know that it doesn't work. But why don't we change our approach to the whole matter? Well, the reason for that is, of course, quite simple. We really need a spiritual genius like the Buddha to show us the way. There are very few people in the world who have that kind of ability to find that way by themselves. There are always some, but very, very few. Most of us need to be shown the way. If we stop looking for somebody to love us, we can immediately turn that around and just start looking for people to love. And since there are so many everywhere, there's no shortage at all. They're constantly available. Every one of us has constant daily contact with other people. That's our constant daily learning situation. That's all it really is. And those people that are halfway acceptable, it's not too difficult to have a sort of a friendly feeling towards them. Well, that's not quite enough if we really want to cultivate this heart quality, this heart quality which then becomes like a safety zone within us. Fear is a human condition, but it's greatly alleviated if we find within us the certitude that we're going to be loving no matter what happens. There is such a basis for safety where fear can be so much less that Our whole inner being changes. Every person we meet is a challenge, a challenge to love. But particularly those who are particularly unpleasant, they are the greatest challenge. And if we want to actually work on this cultivation of the heart, this is where we have that opportunity. Now, mind you, it doesn't always work, obviously. It works for an arahant. The word arahant actually also means a saint, so obviously that's a bit far removed from our daily activities, isn't it? We can try, and this is the challenge that we are facing in our daily lives. Those people whom we find difficult, who are obstructing our path, who are against us, to find a way of opening our heart to them and loving them in spite of all those difficulties. Trying that again and again. Now it's obvious that there can come a moment when we are convinced that we can't do it. On the contrary, we're becoming more and more negative. We can give in then, but not by blaming the other person. We can give in and give up and say, I'm not developed enough. I can't handle this. I've got to try another way. But we must have tried long enough. So it is not an absolute that we have to make it work with every person but it is an absolute that we must try with every person now with those people that are close to us it sometimes is even more difficult because we know them better and they're around so much to disturb us And seeing that we are looking for scapegoats, the nearest one is the obvious one. It makes life very difficult. There is another way of tackling that. And this other way is looking at our own faults and difficulties and realizing that only the ones that we have ourselves are the ones we see in another. Our surroundings, our environment is like a mirror. We see a mirror image. We wouldn't know what the other person has unless we know it already. Now, there is a possibility (coughs) that we have actually practiced long enough to have overcome some of those difficulties in ourselves. Then the same ones that we see in another person no longer bother us. We haven't got them anymore, so they are no bother. All we need is a bit of compassion that the other person is still working at it or maybe not working at it, whatever happens. But as long as those traits in another person are very bothersome to us, we can be quite sure we've got them ourselves we can be very grateful that we are given this learning opportunity to see ourselves as others see us it's terribly difficult to see ourselves clearly because <coughs> the mirror image is only in other people so it's very useful to see that and then using that understanding about the other person of the things that we don't like about the other person to check it out in ourselves. Do I do that too? Do I talk like that? Do I act like that? And try to find that. And then, there's no blame involved. If we start blaming ourselves or others for all the things that we do wrong, we'll never stop blaming. It's a totally useless activity because any negativity that we have, if we keep blame on top of it, we've got two negativities. What we would like is to get rid of it, don't we? So, instead of blaming, we look at it, accept it, and change it. The more we have this loving feeling for ourselves, a contentment and a satisfaction about all our endeavors in our own heart, the easier it is to love others. (coughs) We are the center. The love has to come from our heart. So if there is no love for ourselves, no understanding for our own difficulties, how can we love another? We always think we do, but it is the kind of love that demands something. It wants something back. Maybe it doesn't even want love back, but it wants something back. It wants the right kind of attitude from the other person, the right kind of behavior, the right kind of um, um, being together. If There's some demand being made. As long as we're demanding something, may it be ever so subtle, so long, our love cannot be pure. Love can only be pure if it's given, without any payment. Very often, in one-to-one relationships, we also have this absurdity of trying to figure out whether the other person loves us as much as we love them. In other words, we put it on a little scale and see whether it evens out. And if ours is a little heavier, we will take a little bit off so it's even. <laughs> These are all the absurdities that human uh, nature uh, is uh, relevant to and it's not necessary because it makes life far more difficult than it has to be. Naturally, the Buddha said the first noble truth is that there's dukkha. There is difficulty. It wasn't meant to be without any difficulty because dukkha, and now everybody knows the word, dukkha is our best teacher. In fact, it's our only teacher. All all other teachers, if you tell them, I've had enough, I'm going home, they say, well, if that's the case, sorry you're leaving, but have a good trip. But if you say that to Dukkha, they say, look, I've had enough, I'm going home. Dukkha says, that's fine, but I'm coming along. (laughs) So it's the one teacher that you can be quite sure of. Totally reliable, always there. So in our relationships with other people, we experience a lot of dukkha at times. Sometimes it's quite all right, but other times there's a lot of dukkha. And if there has been enough dukkha, we become so accustomed to that that our whole inner being reacts like that. We don't even try anything new anymore. Well, that is, of course, a great mistake. And on the spiritual path, we do have to try something new. In fact, the spiritual path takes quite a lot of courage because it means chucking the old without knowing what the new one is actually like. If we don't have that courage, we can't go on that path because the old stuff needs to be chucked out the window as quickly as possible or more likely put in the garbage can. So our (coughs) work on the purification of our heart lies in our daily encounters with anyone, particularly human beings. It's not so difficult to love a little bird that has, uh, by mistake, strayed into our room and we're trying to get him out again. Poor little bird, nice little bird. But somebody who is straight in our room and wants to sit there and talk while we are sleepy, well there needs a little more uh, determination to love. It's human beings that we need to work with. And all of us have that opportunity constantly. And there's no excuse not to do it because this is actually what our life is all about. It's an adult education class. And we've had that question already. What am I supposed to do with my life? Well, it's very simple. This is an adult education class. That's all life is all about. Now, if we were going to school still, we would have exams, wouldn't we? And they were usually kind enough to tell us when they came, what date. And they usually also told us the topic What the exam was all about, so we could at least bone up on it and try to learn as much about it. Well, we've got exams in daily life all the time, but nobody tells us the date nor the topic. So we've got to be ready constantly. And just as in school, if we don't pass the exams, we're going to be put back and have to do the class over again. The same in daily life. We don't pass the exam we get the whole thing over again. Next time it might be called Mary instead of Pauline or John (laughs) instead of uh, uh, whatever it may be, but it's the same lesson over again. So instead of being unprepared when all these exams come about, the best thing to do is to use our daily lives as this adult education class and see what we can learn from each encounter. Now, in order to do that, we have to practice mindfulness. Without that, nothing happens. Mindfulness, which is that attention to ourselves, which gives us a clue what's going on within. Now, if we practice that, it, can, it will become, not it can, it will become habitual, we will always know what's going on within. And we will always know whether it's helpful or whether it's unwholesome. And we will always be able to change it. So this is one thing. But the other thing that is necessary also is to understand that this is the basis, the foundation for a peaceful life. We always think, or if we at, at all think about it, that peace is the absence of war, that nobody's shooting. Well, obviously, mm-hmm. that's one kind of peace. But that isn't what we really want. That's not really what we're looking for. What we want is inner peace. And that has nothing to do with the shooting war. They're shooting somewhere, I'm quite sure. They haven't stopped shooting since the Second World War ended. They're constantly shooting. Last time I, uh, three months ago, it's probably still doing it they were shooting not so far away from my center in Germany.' That's shooting in Yugoslavia. There's always somebody shooting. They might be shooting at us. What is it? It doesn't matter. It's that inner peacefulness that makes all the difference is that inner experience that we live in. We don't live in those outer experiences. They're always triggers. Now, one of the formulas, which is important to have and to remember, and maybe hang over your bed or somewhere where you can see it, is don't blame the trigger. Out there, they're all triggers. What this cultivation of this unconditional love means is that within us we have acquired a peaceful zone. We have acquired a zone without pollution. We have acquired a safety and security feeling which will be with us no matter what happens. But that's a result. The work goes on day after day, moment after moment. And also what we need to realize at the same time is that we only have this one moment. Everything else, the past, is gone. It's irrevocably gone. We can learn from it. We can see some of the things that we might have done differently and could do differently now. But that's all. The future is a hope and a prayer. It never exists. When it exists, it's called the present. Tomorrow never comes. When it comes, it's called today. And if you have been labeling, and most of you have been doing that diligently, you will find that a lot of the labels are called future. It's an escape mechanism. The present isn't nice enough so I'll do something in the future. It's the same escape mechanism that we have in the movies, in the television, in the novels. We've got it down to a fine art. But it doesn't help us because that escape mechanism is only momentary. So then we've thought of the future and then the thought is finished because it's very impermanent and then we've got to start all over again. If we cultivate the love quality in our heart, and we all have that quality, and we can all cultivate it, then we can be very happily in the present. And when we are happily in the present, we can also happily meditate, because we can only meditate in the present. We cannot watch a breath that is gone, nor can we watch a breath that's yet to come. We can only watch the breath that is now. The digital clocks, which I don't have, but I've many of them are around, are actually a wonderful mechanism to show us how each moment goes by. One little blimp, and it's gone, and another blimp, and another blimp. And yet, it's only now that we can live. The future is a thought process, and so is the past, but the experience is now, this moment. That's the only experience we will ever have. If we think of the future, we're also thinking now. So anything that will help us to create an experiential life is of the greatest value the best experiential life that we can create for ourselves is a loving quality in the, in the heart. Now, if we find it easy to love others, we also find it easy to have faith and confidence. And have, finding it easy to have faith and confidence also makes it easy to meditate. If we find it difficult to be loving, then those things are difficult for us. But, on the other hand, if we have a great deal of hate, it's so hurtful that we know we've got to do something. So, both sides of the coin, there are some people who have more love than others, and because of that, they find it easier to fall into the meditative path. But, because the loving person is usually connected to greed, because that is also part and parcel of that, because there's always that which can be loved, and unless one has practiced very long, that what one loves, one wants to have. So there's greed attached. And because that promises happiness, the people who have a lot of that often find it difficult to practice. Those people who have a lot of hate in them find it more difficult to fall into the meditation, but because it hurts inside, they are determined to do something about it. So both sides have their advantage and their disadvantage. The one who has a lot of dislike and resentment and disquiet knows that there's something that can be done and will, in many cases, practice so diligently that it does really change. That diligent practice has to be connected though to the inner understanding that within what happens within that all of our resentments all of our dislikes all of our negations all of our resistances are just mind made obstacles. They have no reality to them other than what we give them. If there's any person in your life that whom you don't like or whom you have difficulty with, just put that person in front of your mental eye for a moment. Now, just imagine for a moment whether the person sitting next to you has any difficulty with that person.
1: <laughs> None
0: whatsoever. Couldn't care less. <laughs> So it's a mind-made obstacle without any basis in truth. (laughs) And when we can remember that, we will see that we're only hurting ourselves. We're hurting nobody else. We're making life very difficult for ourselves. The whole world does that. Everybody makes life difficult for him or herself. There doesn't seem to be any... Answer why we do that. Why do we make life so difficult for ourselves? We constantly want to prove something, something that's unprovable. Very often we want to prove that we're right. Very often we want to prove that we know better. Sometimes we want to prove that we have real discrimination of who's lovable and who isn't. Why do we want to prove anything? What's there to prove? Don't we just want to be happy? And with all that proving, we're never going to be happy, because there's always somebody who's going to disprove it. So what we can do is remember that the spiritual path means letting go. Letting go of what? Primarily, most importantly, of our views and opinions. The less of that we have within us, the easier it is to practice, the easier it is to meditate, and the easier it is to love. Because if I have views and opinions, and we all have them, of course, but if I have views and opinions about other people, they are most likely going to be on both sides, positive and negative. And then again, our love cannot be pure. Love in the heart is the purest quality that we can possibly think of. And it is that which connects us, not only to other people, but it connects us to the whole of existence. It connects us to all that is around us, to nature. connects us to all the other realms, such as the animals. It connects us to everything in a totality where there is no barrier or bondage. That is the beginning of freedom. Without that, we'll never be free. We have that Statue of Liberty standing in New York. Well, we'd like to be free, but the freedom is in here. We can have it. It's available, but it's work. We've got to work at it every single day very interesting to work at it while we are in a meditation course where people like and dislike each other without anybody saying anything.
1: <laughs>
0: it's a very interesting phenomena, or happens always. Investigate in yourself. Can I start loving without any kind of viewpoint or opinion? just feeling that warm connection that embracing caring feeling that feeling of likeness that feeling of being together in the same boat at the same time that togetherness that we all share we share so much which we never think about, that if we don't love each other, we're really rocking the boat. And is it ever being rocked? We share the same air to breathe. We can't live without that. We share the same earth that we walk on to grow our food even though it gets all mixed up in packages, it's still grown somewhere first. (laughs) We, We share the same dukkha of wanting to be somebody, and particularly of wanting to be. We share the same dukkha of decay, disease, and death. We're sharing everything except love. St. Teresa Avila, who was one of the great mystics of Christianity in the Middle Ages, told her nuns, less thinking, more loving. And it's been repeated by so many spiritual leaders. Nobody listens. It's part of the part. And that's why we do the loving-kindness meditation, which is one of the methods. We use the Buddha's methods. Methodology helps us, but it doesn't do the whole thing. It is a kind of feeling within us that we can cultivate and develop, where we see ourselves as just being part of everything else. That goes on. And if I don't love everything else that goes on, obviously I can't love this part either. So what am I doing? I'm living in hate, or in indifference. So if I can't love everything else that's going on around me, people and nature and whatever, I'm also lost in this unloving feeling and that's the way most of the people in the world live lost in an unloving feeling now we deliberately start every loving-kindness meditation with ourselves many people find it difficult to love themselves sometimes because they know themselves too well (laughs) which means that they're judging we don't have to judge ourselves we can just love ourselves <coughs> judging ourselves and loving ourselves do not have to be in the same breath we can first love this manifestation of universal existence which we call me and then if we really want to make some changes we can find out what needs to be changed but we don't have to mix up those two We don't have to mix up our bad qualities with our love for ourselves. They don't have anything to do with each other. And because we do that and mix those two things together, we do that with everybody else, too. They're quite (coughs) nice, but they've got all these other qualities which aren't that nice. Or we can see that they are okay, but if they were just doing something that we're also doing, go along with our ideas. This is totally unnecessary. This is a totally different track. That's a mind track. That's where the mind uh, uh, comes into its own. That's when we are discriminating between that which we find useful and helpful and that which we don't. But the heart has nothing to do with that. The heart just has to love. It doesn't have to discriminate. And when we can see the difference between just loving and not discriminating, we have taken a very important step. And another important step, and I won't talk about it now any longer, we'll probably get to it at another time, is seeing, again, not only that we share everything, but also that our own difficulties, our own dukkha, needs to be treated with compassion not with the kind of idea I should have known better I could do better or somebody else has done it to me just compassion compassion is a very important entry into love because the two are very connected and they are also interchangeable and I will talk more about compassion at another time, but I'll just give you a clue now. The far enemy of that, of course, is cruelty, but the near enemy is pity. We're not sorry for ourselves or for others. (coughs) We have empathy. (coughs) Com is with passion, feeling, with feeling, empathy. Being sorry for ourselves or being sorry for others just aggravates the dukkha making more Dukkha out of it. So compassion for ourselves goes hand in hand with love for ourselves. Some people find it difficult to get at their feelings, not because they haven't got them, everybody's got them, but because they've put a wall, a barrier, sometimes an iron safe around them for many different reasons, mostly because there has been a situation in life which has not worked out the way it should have done. Every situation in life which doesn't work out the way it should have done is nothing but another learning experience. That's what this adult education class is all about. Nothing else. That's what we're here for. That's why we have come with this precious human rebirth. With all the dukkha it entails, but also all the sukha, sukha is obviously the opposite of dukkha, the pleasures. And that we can learn to deal with it on a totally different level, where we don't have that judgmental attitude. We weren't brought here into this life to be uh, engaged as judge and jury. Nobody gave us a job. It's a self-appointed job, (laughs) and this self-appointment is not even pleasurable. It doesn't pay anything in the first place, and it only makes difficulties. So if we can drop all this judge and jury business, at least try. In the beginning, one does it a little. It's much easier to love. That's enough for one evening. Now I'll give you a chance to ask some questions, if you like.
1: I I think you
0: always dislike a reflection of yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. A reflection of those things which are going haywire within you, and that's why you dislike them outside of you. Unless you have overcome them, and then you no longer dislike them, you just see them. And you have great compassion for the person who has not overcome them yet. But what you dislike is always a reflection in you, yes. It's very helpful, very useful. It's the only mirror we get. What else have we got? The Buddha said, if you want to have a lot of wisdom and insight, you have to ask a lot of
1: questions.
0: (laughs) It's a sign of uh, uh, wisdom to ask questions. But then, on the other hand, of course, the whole thing is so utterly clear, isn't it? (laughs) What's there to ask about?
1: Yeah. <clears throat> <coughs> <admit> <clears throat> the do mm-hmm. um, how do you keep being overwhelmed when you start with your unconditional love from getting by like, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: But you see, when you have unconditional love, it's not a particular person that you love. It's just the love that's in your heart, which the other person can feel while they're near you. Sometimes they can even feel it if you're away, because they have uh, more sensitivity already. But it doesn't overwhelm the person that has the unconditional love, because that cannot be diminished. There's no way you can diminish love. In fact, the more you give it out, the more you've got. There's no way to become burned out. There's a possibility of uh, time becoming uh, uh, very uh, scarce, but that has nothing to do with love. You might not be able to spend so much time with each person, but that has nothing to do with the love. So there's no burnout possible. That's what you were referring to, aren't you? Uh,
1: No, I don't think so. I think I'm I'm really talking about time because I find that even uh, when I'm just friendly with someone without an outflowing of love, they tend to want to start taking up a lot of time because they're so needy. Yeah,
0: well, (laughs) if that becomes too much, then it's necessary if one can explain that the only way they're ever going to be satisfied is if they have the love within their own heart. Your love isn't going to satisfy them no matter how long they stick around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Sandy has her hand up. sort of to um, the question you sort of answered it. Um, but I did want to echo what that woman said. Um the
1: question was me is uh, running out of energy, uh, and having to say no to people's needs and not being clear how to love myself and other people simultaneously in the kind of a dance
0: Well that is all Dependent upon the fact whether the love is dependent upon a personal identity. And when that love is not dependent upon personal identity, it just is. And it doesn't have any um, waxing or waning. It just is. I mean, an intelligent mind just is, isn't it? It doesn't have waxing and wind. It doesn't come and go. It's intelligent. That's what it is. So a loving heart is loving, no matter what. So to say no (coughs) to a person who needs some attention may be necessary if oneself is physically unable to do it. I mean, the physical aspect of that is a different question. But it has nothing to do with the heart quality. So that can be also a certain... One can use the heart quality to also make that understandable to another person. Well, the physical aspect of time, of course, that's limited. Time is limited, and physical energy may also be limited. Mental energy is greatly enhanced through a loving heart because it doesn't have... The mental energy enhanced through the loving heart is so much greater because it doesn't have to occupy itself with judging and discriminating. It doesn't have to have all those um, – d- all that energy output, which goes into judging and discriminating. So sure, time is limited, no doubt about it. <laughs> Anything else? Yes?
1: Um, <coughs> maybe there's some special things I you messed up. Um, In working with feelings about parents, uh, I developed compassion, I developed understanding of around her. Uh, <laughs> 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 um <coughs> extremely critical and anyway is and part of me gets not, you know, could just really turn around and walk away. And never be here. And and there is that lovely heart that says, Well, how can I feel about
0: these
1: other people who can mm. and um it seems it's
0: like it's my channel because I'm a Wonderful learning situation, isn't it? love the unlovable the only time and the only way we're ever going to learn unconditional love if we learn to love the unlovable it's very easy to love a, a one-year-old it's very easy to love a little bird it's very easy to love a lover but to love the unlovable that's where our learning situation comes in and when we learn that actually learn it and I think in the description of your case, you have to learn it, don't you? Um, then we've really made it. That's the final exam, usually. When we really, we really love the unlovable, what we consider unlovable. And then when having passed that exam, the rest is easy. It's all downhill. Yes.
1: <laughs> I'll come to
0: that in a minute. What did you want to ask? I wanted to ask is it possible to love your child without attachment?
1: It seems that attachment comes with the territory
0: in parenting. Yes, it certainly comes that way. Um, that's why <laughs> the Buddha called his son Rahula, which means the feta. <laughs> The non-attachment to your own children, and, uh, to which is really the closest thing, uh, comes <coughs> with the realization and insight into the non-existence of a personal me. So it doesn't take just love, it takes also insight. That's a, the strongest attachment to your own children, uh, because one considers them an extension of me. And, uh, in fact, one probably finds them – very often mothers find the child more important than themselves. Um, So that can only come through insight. But they are a very good learning experience, children, because they're not always lovable. They've got many moments when they're totally unlovable, so they're also very good learning experiences. Um, They're easier to deal with. Because there is this enormous attachment there. So it's an easier situation. This is a more difficult one where the uh, mother is um, um, very difficult. But that is an, a wonderful uh, exam. That really does it. So helpful hints were, was the next question. <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, one of the great help greatest, uh, well... The necessity for a meditative path which I will start explaining tomorrow which brings with it a lack of connection to this person that is sitting here trying where totality and unity can be experienced is one great help. The other thing is of course an insight into not just that we're sharing everything but that we are actually all on one level that we're all the same and when we are seeing that which is also part of the unity experience but it's also part of insight then it's totally absurd to dislike one, which is the same as me, like another, which is the same as me, I mean, it doesn't make sense anymore. So what you're looking at here with these probably rather unhelpful hints is the fact that the meditation has to come together on a different level. The level we're doing at the moment is method, methodology, absolutely essential, but it isn't the meditation yet. And on the other hand, What I'm talking about is a purification, which is absolutely essential, but it hasn't with it the insight yet. So it's a pathway. On the other hand, the other things, the helpful hints, which I've already given, are to see everything that happens as a learning experience. And another thing which I've already mentioned also is that what we think we will eventually feel, if we think it often enough, determinedly enough, and convinced enough. So if we think enough, I'm going to love this person, I want to feel love, I am loving this person, over and over again, there is this spark in me which loves, and I can love, then it won't take all that long to actually be able to feel it. It's a warm-hearted acceptance. Love is a warm-hearted acceptance. It's not attachment. It's not belonging. It's not owning. It's not having. It's just that kind of feeling. So, that's about all I know. (laughs) There was another hand in the back, yes. Let me see if I understood you correctly. You were dealing with problem people by separating yourself from them and using a sort of a humorous approach, right? And at first it seemed to work, but then it (coughs) didn't. Well, separation from others never works. We're all connected. (coughs) You see, the person that is a problem, and it's within your environment, that person, You're connected to that person already by just being there. So there's no way we can separate ourselves. But what we try to do, and all of us have tried that, is to separate our... to put a barrier up so that the problematic, that problem that comes from the other person supposedly doesn't enter into us. Now if you put a barrier up, you also put a barrier up against love. So that barrier closes everything if you put up a fence around your garden to keep all the dogs out, it also keeps you in unless you open the gate. So any barrier that you put up will immediately make it quite unpleasant to be in that situation. So humor is (laughs) very essential, but humor should be directed at oneself. (laughs) (laughs) and to see the absurdity of what we do and laugh about it is very helpful it's extremely helpful and to see ourselves in that light but it does not mean that we separate ourselves in fact it means that we connect ourselves even more because everybody does it Please put the attention on the breath for just a few moments. Think of any person in your life whom you really love. And if there is no one, at this particular moment, think of someone you have loved in the past. And let that feeling for that person arise in your heart and fill you. And then know that feeling to be the feeling of love. And direct the same feeling towards yourself. Let that beloved person Arise before your mind's eye again Experience the feeling for that person again And then direct the feeling The same feeling To the person sitting nearest you in this room This feeling of love Which does not need any discrimination towards whom it's directed now let the same feeling reach out to every person that is here fill every person from head to toe with that warm acceptance and embrace of love Think of your beloved person again. Let the feeling be strong in your heart for that person. And then direct it to your parents. Fill them with that same love that you have for your most beloved person. No discrimination is needed. Now direct that same feeling of love towards those people who are closest to you, the nearest and dearest people, those that you might live with. Fill them (coughs) with this unconditional, undemanding love, which does not expect any return. Think of your good friends. And let that same feeling of warm acceptance, non demanding, loving embrace reach out to all of them. Filling each one from head to toe with that wonderful feeling coming from your heart Now think of people whom you meet in everyday life Neighbors, people at work Clients, patients People in offices Anyone you can think of And let that same warm feeling Of togetherness and acceptance Of embracing and caring reach out to them and fill each one from head to toe with that feeling Think of your beloved person again. Let that feeling be strong in your heart, you have for that person. And then think of anyone whom you have difficulties with, or whom you actually actively dislike, or if there's no such person towards whom you're indifferent. but turn to that warm, loving feeling in your heart for your beloved person and extend it towards the person you don't like. Now let the warm feeling of love for your beloved person be in the center of your heart radiating outward and let it radiate like the Sun undiscriminately towards all that come within its connection Try to connect with as many beings as you can. This warm, loving feeling radiates from your heart like the rays of the sun. Everyone who is there can be warmed by it. Try to enlarge it as much as you can, going as far with it as possible. Seeing people you know, seeing people you have met, seeing people that you just know about, being warmed, And helped by the radiation of the love from your heart. put your attention back on yourself and feel that center point in your heart warm, full of love accepting embracing caring filling you from head to toe surrounding you completely giving you a sense Of safety and well-being, peace and ease. May people everywhere have love for each other.